Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. And I'm Lee. Hi. And this is episode two, brought to you by Deck. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about uh, chapters 15 through 20 of the first book. And I just realized I didn't say that last week what chapters we were doing. So last week was chapters 1 through 14, and this will be chapters 15 through 20. Um, first off, thank you so much to everyone who listened to episode one um and we got some really nice messages on instagram so i was thinking we could start with some listener correspondence and i bet i stole that name from the unfortunate associates podcast so i have no idea if this is what is commonly called but we're gonna read your comments out loud so you'll be like featured on the podcast a bit and we can um and you can see our reactions real time yep so our first comment is from Elise underscore sparkles and it says hey I just listened to the first episode and wanted to say that I'm really excited for what you guys have to come I absolutely love and adore the series and I think it's so cool that y'all are doing this so thank you Elise yes that's such a nice thing to say and that just yeah it really feels real now so that's kind of crazy to me yeah when I when I first like had the idea of doing this podcast it was actually because um another another sort of kid lit podcast called unfortunate associates um it was a a series of unfortunate events podcast that had just ended so I was sort of feeling this like void in my soul I was like oh what if I had a keeper of the lost cities podcast but I never thought or I didn't really think it would be an actual thing yet here we are so that's really great and I'm really glad that you all are enjoying it yeah it's awesome Our second comment is from Baba underscore doodles on Instagram, and it says, it's pretty short, it says, it's so good, I look forward to more episodes, with a ton of exclamation marks. So thank you, we really appreciate your comment, we, and yeah, we love to hear all of your messages, so just feel free to slide into our DMs at any time. Yeah, for sure, on Instagram and on Tumblr as well, Um, I know I'm pretty sure that we have the ask box open and if you ever want to say anything please go ahead it just absolutely makes our day hearing from you guys so go for it yep and uh our username on tumblr is keepercast and on instagram we're the keepercast with an extra that at the beginning because keepercast was taken (laughs) yep um and our last comment is also from baba underscore doodles and it's more of like a question or clarification sort of and it says with Sophie's polyglot ability if she had it as long as telepathy would it have affected her schooling in high school since you have to take two years of foreign language in high school and yeah so this is referring to our last episode where we were wondering if Sophie had always had the polyglot ability or if Mr. Forkel had to trigger it at the end of book one and that brings up a good point that I don't think we thought of which is that like she I guess she couldn't have been a polyglot while she was living with humans otherwise she would have noticed in her foreign language classes. Although it does make me wonder because um, for my language elective at the high school I take American Sign Language so do you think being a polyglot would affect something like that because it's not a spoken language but it's still another language. Oh that's really interesting yeah I wonder if it extends to ASL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's just interesting. 
All right, so we're going to um, start off this episode. Well, I guess we already started, but we're going to start off this episode um, a bit differently than usual because we have had a ton of Caudalk-related news coming out in the past week um, on Shannon Messenger's Instagram. So we're going to start off with a news report, sort of an overview of everything that's been going on this week. Um, the first thing and the biggest thing, or maybe the second biggest thing, is that the Keeper 9 release date has been moved to November 2021. So that's a full year later. The explanation that Shannon gave, I'm looking on her Instagram right now, is that, um, is, quote, I realized while I was brainstorming book nine that the next part of the story needed to be told a little differently than I had originally imagined in order to really shine. So I had to take a slightly unexpected path to give you guys the best version possible. I know there's been like a lot of theorizing about like if it's a different point of view or what, and I don't know, it could go any way, but I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I'm super excited, especially since now she has like another year to plan it out and figure out where the series is going to go. I'm just, I'm really optimistic about, about book nine. Mm -hmm, Me too. It's exciting. I was wondering if you have any title predictions, actually, because usually this would be like around the time of year when the title would be released. But obviously, since it's pushed a year back, that's not happening. So what do you think? Oh, man, I okay. I always thought that it would be really cool to have like the last book be titled Swan Song, just because that would be like really dramatic and epic. But I don't think that's going to happen. So... I actually have it written down, have Swan Song written down as like my number one title prediction because I agree it would be like <laughs> poetic cinema. It would be like a huge build up to this thing that we've been hearing about for like the entire series like and what it means and kind of a, you know, go out with a bang, right? Yeah, exactly. Sort of on that note though, do you think book nine is going to be the last book since she's like taking another year for it it makes it seem like it needs some more planning or some more things to maybe and maybe that means that she's going to try to wrap up everything with this one book I do kind of think that it will be like um logically I do think that it will be the last book but um I don't think it'll be the last thing we get from this world if that makes sense because like You know, we've got Unlocked uh, Book 8.5, which is going to be, like, different. And I think it, even after the series ends, we'll probably get more things kind of along those lines, like collections of short stories and stuff like that. Which, on the short stories note, do you think we'll get the Great Gulan incident in 8.5? Because I'm kind of really wondering about that. That would be amazing if we do. I know Shannon Messenger has said that she's not going to say what the Great Gulan incident is in one of the main books. So I don't know if yeah. 8.5 counts as one of the main books, but yeah. I would I would I would love it if we got the Great Gulan incident in Unlocked. Yeah, me too. Um speaking of Unlocked, the second piece of information and possibly the more important one, I don't know, is that there will be a book this year in 2020, um, Keeper 8.5, is called. the title is Unlocked, and it will be released on November 17th, and 
also according to Shannon's Instagram, it's the, it's quote, the continuation of the story after the legacy cliffhanger told from both Sophie and Keefe's perspectives. And it includes full color art, black and white illustrations, a series guide, recipes, and an official map. So that's going to be a lot of content for us. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really excited for the map. Finally going to learn where things are. Yeah, I'm really excited about the map too. I think because we know the location of some of the places like Eternalia's in China and Atlantis is in the Atlantic Ocean. I don't, I don't know if that's actually canon, <laughs> but it'll be... Somewhere. It's in the ocean somewhere that narrows it down to like <laughs> 70% right. of the Earth. But right? yeah, it'll be really interesting to see where some of those other places are, like Havenfield. We have no idea where Havenfield is. So, and since they can light, like, it could literally be anywhere. It could. Oh, I think... The, like the only place we actually have a specific location for is the sanctuary is inside the Himalayas, right? Right. Yeah. And oh, and um, the and Gildingham, the Goblin Kingdom, it's in El Dorado. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it'll be exciting to see where everything is for sure. Yeah, this is going to be. Honestly, I'm kind of more excited for the bonus content than for the actual book. <laughs> Me too, not gonna lie. Um, speaking of the actual book, though, what do you think about the split POV? Um, for me, split POVs have always been harder to follow, but I'm really excited to see how it'll turn out. I mean, there's there's obviously going to be some pretty heavy shipping content, which I'm never really one for shipping, but like... I'm excited to see where it'll go, at least. Yeah, I'm also excited to see why Keith needs a POV, if that makes sense. Like, how how important... I mean, he's obviously going to be very important to the story, maybe more important than he's been in the past. So I'm sort of wondering how uh, how much of a place in the plot he's he's going to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, he, at this point, Keith is kind of what to the what the to the never seen what Sophie is to the black swan. Ugh, I can't speak. Um, but so he's obviously become a very important character and um it'll be really exciting and cool to see things from his perspective, I think. Well, at least now we know that Keith's gonna wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, that wasn't ever a really big question for me, but yeah. Oh, I was I was just saying, wouldn't it be really funny, though, if it is his POV, but half the story is just him, like, dreaming <laughs> about E.L. Fudges or something? <laughs> <laughs> that would be brutal. Like, I could kind of see Shannon doing that to us, though. But not for the entire book. Uh, I was wondering, do you have any plot predictions about where Unlocked is going to go because we know it's going to pick up right after the legacy cliffhanger but because it's this side book I have no idea if it's going to continue with the main plot or sort of go off into a different branch or what do you think? Ooh, um I don't know I just don't really have any ideas for it I need to reread legacy really 
yeah, there are so many like different directions it could go. I really have no idea where it will go. I did have an idea when it was first announced that like mm-hmm. maybe it's going to go more backwards in time, sort of into the um into the story behind whatever's in the cache um and like why that why that secret had to be kept away Ooh, that would be really interesting yeah no that would be really interesting actually yeah because the caches are kind of a big plot point and they haven't really gone anywhere so i i could see that yeah that would be really interesting we also have some other news coming from Shannon's Instagram this week. Um, just mostly dates. So August 25th is going to be an annotated book one with author commentary and black and white illustrations. October 13th will be a legacy paperback with the Tam short story included. So that was the short story that was in the um, Barnes & Noble special edition last year. And then on October 27th, we have a new box set for books one through three with a sticker sheet. <laughs> so that's so that's all the news that I had for today. Um, should we move on to talk about chapters 15 through 20? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the section we read for this week started out at Haven when they go to Havenfield, Sophie and Alden, to meet Grady and all right are we pronouncing this Edeline 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 um I always pronounced it like Edeline I think I don't know I don't really pronounce things in my mind when I read yeah I think okay we can go with Edeline honestly I yeah I don't really pronounce things either I sort of flip-flop between Edeline and Edeline I don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So our first impression of Grady is that is when he's um he's riding Verdi the T Rex, and let's just say what an iconic way to meet your new guardian. Right. The next thing I have is uh when they're so they're talking about their Grady and Edelin own it's not the sanctuary it's like a rehabilitation center sort of where where all these like all these magical slash non-magical animals are like learn how to be vegetarian and whatnot before going (laughs) off to the sanctuary um yeah but they said something about how it's really important to the elves to preserve all species because they believe that if one species goes extinct then something goes wrong like the timeline isn't reset although that's not a term that comes up until the next book but um I was that just got me wondering like how do the elves define a species because what if there was like one animal who was born technically had a mutation that made it a different species but like died immediately because it wasn't viable like (laughs) Do they consider that a species? Do they have to resurrect this animal and save it? <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I know in my biology class, we defined species as um, a group of animals who can like interbreed and have offspring that can have children as well. So like, um, 
I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful or not. That's just the definition that we use in class. Yeah, I don't know if I really had an answer for that. It was just something that I thought of or was a question that I was thinking. No, yeah, that's an interesting mm-hmm. thought, though. Um, something else that I noticed about this chapter was uh, when Sophie was with Verdi, um, she was able to tell that Verdi was in pain. So I, and there was like a lot of kind of a lot of attention being brought to that. So I was wondering, this kind of ties into our polyglot question earlier on, which is that like, oh, does this imply that Sophie was already a polyglot or does it like, what does that imply? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not very helpful to this discussion, but like, I kind of am inclined to think that she was already a polyglot, but it doesn't really seem like she was telepathically communicating with Ferdy, so maybe, maybe not. Yeah, that, oh, being telepathically communicating, that wasn't something that I thought of, but yeah, it might, it might have been telepathy. Well, because do we know that, because she can, she's able to do that with Sylvany, but I think it's implied later on that that's because Sylvany is like has like more concrete thoughts sort of than other animals so yeah I don't know (laughs) that's a question we'll have for later I guess yeah (laughs) yep yeah what are what are some of our first impressions of Grady and Edeline oh well I remember that um when you first meet Grady, Sophie says she couldn't decide if he reminded her more of James Bond or Robin Hood, which is kind of weird because that's not really, I mean, I don't have like a concrete um, image of him in my mind, but that's definitely not how I imagine him. So that's also like two people that I wouldn't necessarily associate with each other. Like, putting together James Bond and Robin Hood. Because also, I'm imagining, like, the Disney animated version of Robin Hood right now. <laughs> so. <laughs> Me too. So, yeah. Um, I can't really put together an image of Grady in my mind from that. I always imagined him as kind of, like, an older guy. Um, yeah, me too. Sort of, like, like farmer-like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although, even though I guess, like... Technically, all elves are supposed to look young, but there are just some some of the parents, young especially. and vibrant. <laughs> They're all, yeah. The par- the parents don't strike me as as young and vibrant in my mind. No, yeah. I really like Adeline, and I really liked how yes, she was. She's introduced. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and because when we first meet Adeline, um. Sophie notices that like she just looks really sad because we know that um that Jolie, their daughter, had died twen- twenty years fifteen years ago. Um and something I forget a lot is how like genuinely sad Grady and Edelin actually were before Sophie came into their lives. Like there's a whole thing about how they used to throw these huge parties, but now they never leave their house. And Edelin seems all tired all the time. And I just thought, like, wow, it's it's really amazing how much they've developed over the series and how they've um, managed to, like, 
how Sophie's managed to turn their lives around. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy going back and looking at um, the first book now, having read all of the ones after it, because you see like the beginning of their character arc and where they are now. And it's just really cool to see how far everyone's come. In this chapter, we're also introduced to Malomelt, which isn't huge plot-wise, I guess, but it's just such an iconic part of of Keeper now that I feel like we should mention it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is so much that we like have a recipe for it. So it's it's an official recipe too, right? Yeah, is it... it is. Yeah, yeah, because Shannon made it. I um, I actually I made Malomelt with my friends like several years ago me too um yeah and uh I don't know I don't know if I liked it I mean it was it was good it was just really 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 sweet and rich yeah did you have anything else you wanted to say about the section at Havenfield with Sophie meeting Grady and Edelin oh wait there's um it says that they had a dinner of soupy green stuff that tasted like pizza and I'm pretty sure I remember later on um Sophie like later on in the series Sophie comments about things like how oh sure like the vegetables and stuff are great but you can't replace pizza and you have something that tastes like pizza right there you sure about that Sophie yeah I um I remember uh at one of the launch parties Shannon Messenger actually mentioned that and she was like she gets so many messages about how about that one inconsistency um, which I think is really funny it's a very like small thing but I guess everyone notices it oh and the one other thing I had to say about the Havenfield section was that maybe this is answered later in the book and I don't I just don't remember but um why was Grady how did Grady have that black swan file? Because we see him um, reading over, we see him reading over a file with runes and the swan symbol. Oh, which, which is also, I think, the first time we see that swan symbol. So, but who sent it to him? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember if that does get answered or not. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, it was probably, like, Alden, but I don't know. Well, was Alden connected with the Black Swan at this point? Because if I remember correctly, at this point in the book, he was pretty anti-Black Swan. Like, he wasn't a fan of No, I don't think he was connected, but he was looking for Sophie, so he at least had some knowledge of it. Um, in this next section, in... Yeah. In this next section, um, we're brought to Mysterium, which Edeline, I think, describes as a working class city. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack here, and honestly, I don't actually have anything written <laughs> written on this section, um, just because, like, I, I noticed the whole working class, like, quote-unquote working class city... Thing mentioned but I hadn't really thought about it that much um but I guess I think it's interesting 
it's definitely interesting how there are these social classes within elven society um that seem to be yeah yeah and you've got like this whole working class city thing and then I don't think it's really mentioned much again but like the way that their society is set up is really interesting to me because like money essentially doesn't have any meaning it's all like ability based and um like so it says that those with simpler abilities work simpler jobs um and I guess that's just kind of interesting because it's that's very different from like how our world works with money and stuff but at the same time it's also pretty similar with like the social classes and everything so yeah so the reason that Adeline and Sophie go to Mysterium is to go to Slurps and Burps where we meet Dex and Kessler yeah I don't know I if you know me at all you know that I really love Dex me too me too (laughs) I'm gonna um and again though I don't actually have a ton to say about him other than that I love him um it's a really iconic first scene seeing him turn Steena bald (laughs) yeah yeah something interesting about this section sort of tying into what you said earlier about the whole elven social classes thing is that we learned that Dex's parents are a bad match which means they're um, which means that they weren't on each other's matchmaking lists. Um, and that's our first instant instance of really seeing, like, like actual serious prejudice in the elven world. Yeah. Um, which I think... I have a lot of thoughts about the matchmaking system, and, like, um, I think part of the reason why I feel the way I do about it is probably because, like... Um, I'm asexual and, like, the, uh, I'm sick and tired of romance and stuff, fam, you know? But, like, um, it's just really interesting and kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways. It also makes me wonder a little bit because they say the matchmaking system is in place to, like, help ensure that you don't marry your cousin and stuff but it seems like they have a pretty big population of elves, especially if you're looking at, like, Foxfair, where they have probably at least 100 students in each level, and there's a bunch of levels, and you have a new class every year, so clearly they're doing pretty fine population-wise, and even if they live forever, there's still probably not... Uh, they still probably have enough people that you don't really have to worry about marrying your cousin. So. Yeah, I I agree. And also, if the whole idea of the matchmaking system was to prevent you from marrying your cousin, I feel like there are ways for the office to just let you know who you're related to, but then say, oh, but you know, anyone else is still an option. You don't, they don't have to put together all these lists to ensure, to ensure that you're marrying someone who's like genetically compatible to you because 
like I agree, the elves don't have a population problem. They're no, not at all. Water. Yeah. Fun first date idea. Get genetic testing to make sure you're not going out with your cousin. <laughs> so our next section, the next section of the book is when they first go to Foxfire, the elven school. Um, and we meet a lot of people. Yeah, like a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, a lot. And love how... Most of them have just been forgotten by the time <laughs> Legacy comes around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the first classmate we meet is is Gen Z, Gen Z Bablos. I love Gen Z. Yeah. I, I know I say Which that that's about... That's kind of a funny last name. That is. It's... It works with his personality, though. Like, yeah, something I really... I really like how um all the names in Coddalk have, like... Or Sh- Shannon Messenger chose those names because of their meanings, like... Gen Z Bablos is because he talks a lot, and Vacker means beautiful in Swedish. Yeah. No, he's great, though. He's he's a great character. I wish we got to see more of him as the books went on, instead of less. Bring back Gen Z, 2K20. <laughs> in addition to Gen Z, we also meet Morella Reddick, um, who kind of goes the opposite way of Gen Z and becomes more important to the story as the books go on. Something I really liked about Morella in this first book and in this first section especially is just because she seemed like kind of a living example of the flaws built into the elven world because when she's talking with Sophie in that first conversation at the cafeteria, um, there are all these biases uh, built into her and her conversation like... um, when she was sort of when she was talking about Lady Galvin being a teacher even though she's talentless and um, being kind of snippy about like Dex's parents being a bad match, it's it was showing that like oh you know you can be a nice person and a sympathetic character um, but still have your own issues and your own biases that you have to work through. Yeah, all these internalized prejudices and stuff. Yeah. It's it's interesting. She's great though. We love her. Something else I was something else I noticed in this Foxfire scene or this Foxfire section was after, when Sophie starts going to her classes, um they mentioned very briefly Lady Dara, 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 who's her uh who's her history maker, or her history mentor. And it said that <laughs> it said that she um she said something about Sophie being, quote, history in the making, which was like, I was like, oh, that is a very black swan thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a theory that I have that she's in the black swan. I was sort of thinking about like, okay, who, what elves in the black swan do we not know? Yeah, um, you know, it would be kind of interesting if, um... She turned out to be, like, a member of the Black Swan. That would be interesting. Just kind of this one-off character that doesn't really get mentioned again. But, like, that would be an interesting way to tie in um, some of these old plot threads. That'd be cool. I was going through, like, the Black Swan members who we don't know their their actual identities yet. And for a second I was thinking... Oh, maybe she could be Tinker. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, because we, ha- I mean, we don't really have any idea who Tinker is yet, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that was an, a theory that might be interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. Tinker's cool. I wish we saw more of her. Yeah, definitely. I She was hardly in Legacy at all, I feel like. Yeah. So, and she's a great character, I wish. I hope that yeah, she's she'll be awesome. in the later books. Yeah, me too. The next thing I have a note for in this section is this at Foxfire, I think from Morala is where we learn that um is where we learn about Prentice and that he was uh put in exile. And I was wondering again, this might be something mentioned in the later books that I just forgot, but I was wondering what um what Prentice was actually put in exile for, because we know he was involved with the black swan but i don't know i feel like i i I feel like that wouldn't be enough to like be put to be imprisoned for life yeah um i think it was because um he wouldn't like they found out that he was part of the black swan and then he wouldn't um tell them anything and then they had to do the it's called a mind break right right yeah Um, and so oh so he was only put in exile after the mind break yeah yeah i think so oh that actually makes sense okay well i guess that's answered (laughs) (laughs) oh and there was also that bit about um sophie thinking that apprentice was her dad (laughs) um which reminded me of how that was um that was brought back up in uh in Legacy, where Sophie was basically, like, said to Wiley, like, yeah, I thought Prentice was my dad until I realized he wasn't white. (laughs) Yeah. So before we get to, like, the very end of this Foxfire section, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up? Um, oh, I mean, it does talk a little bit about, like, um, I have the book in front of me right now, and, um... It mentions that Prentice was a keeper. And I know you guys talked, like, you mentioned keepers last episode. But the term keeper just makes me think of the title. So it's like, I kind of wonder if that is, like, has that been touched on more? I, I don't remember. But I kind of think that maybe Sophie is or will be a keeper because, like, keeper of the lost cities right the the thing in the title (laughs) yeah yeah i think there was that line um in the in last week's section about oh sophie will be a really powerful keeper if she isn't already i think we've already we've already seen that like she is hiding some uh some memories in her mind sort of unknowingly that makes her a keeper already but I, it would also be interesting to see, like, whether she kind of leans into that role and ends up um, taking on more secrets, like, on purpose. All right, so now we're going to move on to the best section of the Foxfire section, which is when Sophie destroys Lady Galvin's cave. <laughs> yes. I mean, I know she didn't intend to, but, like, iconic. Like, yeah. I, I, I love the scene so much. It just really perfectly encapsulates, like, 
the chaotic energy that Sophie has <laughs> to accidentally yeah. destroy your mentor's most prized possession. Yeah. Oh, and there's one more thing we should talk about before we wrap up. Yeah, what's that? This is the section where we meet Keith Sensen. <laughs> yep. I think it's hilarious that we meet him while he's ditching because, yep, that's Keith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very on brand. <laughs> in general, though, what what do you think of Keith? I mean, at this point in the book, he kind of is like, um, he's got a little bit of like arrogant jock energy to me. Like, he's kind of, you know, that one guy who's like, a, you know, kind of that cocky, oh, I can do anything and get away with anything. And, um, like, he definitely does like believe that to an extent. Um, and then he drags her off to the healing center. Where she will return many, um, many times. <laughs> yep. Home away from home. Yeah, I think uh, Keith right now in the books, he's being introduced as like very much a sort of like almost archetypal bad boy character. Oh, yeah, that's the term, bad boy. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting to see how, like, okay, so Keith is kind of a complicated character in my mind, or for for me, because I don't really like him, and, but even though I don't love him as a person, I think that he's a really interesting character and probably the best character just like writing wise in the series um because we can see because we see so many different sides of him even though even though we don't have his his pov until book 8.5 i guess um and i think even from the very beginning you can see some sort of uh even from the very beginning (laughs) you can already see that like oh maybe he's going to um you can see some shades of like how he becomes more vulnerable as the series goes on, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely get what you're trying to say. Um Yeah, and I'm kind of uh the same way about Keith. I'm not particularly a fan of him. Um, but he's a good character and very important and I'm certainly not going to like diss on him or anything because he is very important. I just personally don't really like him all that much. Yeah. Or I guess it's like I can acknowledge that he's a really, that he's a pretty good character. Um, and like I like sort of thinking about him from a plot and writing standpoint, but um, I'm just not emotionally invested in him at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah me too so that's that's all I had written down for this section was there anything else that you wanted to cover um just that I love Elwyn he's awesome yeah Elwyn's Elwyn's great so to wrap up um let's share social media so I'm 
You can find me on Tumblr and Instagram at Melting. And I'm um, puns and podcasts on both Tumblr and Instagram as well. Not really particularly active on Instagram, but it's there. And like we said at the beginning of this episode, uh, you can follow us at KeeperCast on Tumblr or the KeeperCast on Instagram. Um, and if you want to let us know how we're doing or give us a suggestion for an upcoming episode, um, you can send us a message on either social media site. And that's it for this week. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week.